SCP-1936, Daleport. Innocent bystanders getting caught up in nightmarish situations is practically the bread and butter of the horror genre, and the SCP universe is certainly no different. Cosmic horror and Lovecraftian horror are especially focused on the overall insignificance of humanity amidst an uncaring universe, and the tendency for certain foolish individuals to prod and poke what they really shouldn't. Daleport is indeed a story of humans meddling in forces beyond their understanding, but it also contains perhaps a light at the end of the tunnel. For a week and a half in 1997, a strange cloud of gas covered the New England town of Daleport, preventing the Foundation, or anyone else for that matter, from entering the town or observing anything occurring in the town. When the gas finally cleared, the town was irrevocably changed, and no survivors were located, although the remains of a large number of Daleport residents were found. Many of the buildings in the town were destroyed, and those that remained featured significant anomalous alterations. Some rooms grew smaller when they were entered, eventually preventing an occupant from moving, and a number of residents and Foundation agents are currently irretrievable from these rooms. Certain doors would lead to different locations at different times of day, and some corridors would lead to several different locations simultaneously. The largest cause of death determined from the remains of Daleport residents seems to be suicide, but many of the remains feature anomalous properties themselves. A smear of entrails and viscera was found capable of picking up radio signals from up to six miles away, and the subject was found with a small plant that gave out a small constant flame, presumably SCP-1612. A torso was discovered embedded in a wall, which is strange enough, but blood is also seen continually manifesting 15 centimeters above the torso. The body of a man was found with both eyes gouged out, and a steady stream of ashes pouring from his facial orifices. Several corpses were discovered lined up with a charred, circular hole in their foreheads. A female corpse is currently floating 57 meters above the ground. And at 7.42 p.m. every day, several floating torsos are seen simulating the motions of running for three minutes before fading away. So far, this is all, oddly perhaps, par for the course for an anomalous incident in a small town. This is the aftermath, however, and we want to learn more about what actually happened during that week and a half. Luckily, so did the Foundation, and so they had sent in a few expedition teams when the gas cloud first appeared, to ascertain what was going on. The first thing sent in was an unmanned drone, equipped with various sensors, sampling tools, and surveillance equipment, as well as several rats to see if the cloud affected living tissue in any way. The drone entered into the cloud, finding within it a vast, smooth, wasteland-like landscape. The air itself was composed of sulfur, nitrogen, and carbon oxides, but not at a high enough concentration to kill. The rats were seemingly unaffected by the journey. The drone continued two kilometers into the cloud, 
roughly a kilometer beyond where the town of Daleport should have ended. Unfortunately, at this point, communication with the drone began to degrade, despite the equipment being capable of going out to 70 kilometers, and so the drone was returned to base. As you'd expect for an SCP exploration, after the drone is finished, the Foundation sends in the D-Class. Two D-Class were sent into the cloud, equipped with hazmat suits and sensors, riding a larger unmanned drone equipped with a more powerful radio transceiver. They were taken a kilometer into the cloud, at which point one of the D-Class was told to remove their hazmat suit, which they did, suffering no ill effects aside from a slight difficulty in breathing. They continued another couple kilometers across the wasteland, finding nothing, until communication began to degrade, at which point they returned. Well, so far pretty boring, but let's kick it up a notch. Despite finding absolutely nothing so far, the Foundation isn't convinced, and so they send in a mechanized infantry platoon equipped with light armored vehicles. Usually an MTF would be sent in at this point, but for whatever reason, the Foundation suspects that they'll need a bit more firepower. Three kilometers into the cloud, things start to get more interesting. One of the vehicles reports an upwards incline ahead of them, a first in the otherwise flat landscape. Another vehicle, however, reports no incline, but then the first vehicle says that they are now heading down the incline, with no one remarking on the discrepancy. A third vehicle reports that the sky is filled with red and blue patterns that seem to be responsible for screwing up the radio. The next voice heard comes from an unknown source, and speaks in a classic Lovecraftian jumble of letters, undecipherable to the Foundation. Another unknown voice chimes in to note that the first voice said, Amen, may that heretic burn in the pit. At this point, the platoon was no longer able to receive messages from the home base, but they could still transmit, apparently. Sounds of a firefight break out, along with wildly varying descriptions of the attacking force. Thirty minutes later, a third unknown voice is heard on the radio. It uses a number of unknown words throughout its message, but I'll paraphrase. It says that it is the shivering mist covering the town of Daleport, and it says the Foundation's men have been attacked while traversing through it. It says that some of the men have died, but the rest are in safe hands. It also says that evil has been summoned to this town by some sort of heretical society, and it is managing to contain the worst of it, but the town will not be unaffected. A great battle will rage, with a victor ultimately decided, and it asks that the Foundation does not send any more soldiers in, as it cannot protect them. When the battle is over, it shall leave, and it hopes that we survive the process. Surprisingly, perhaps, the Foundation actually listened, and didn't send in any more manned expeditions into the cloud, although they did send in more drones. None of them were capable of locating the town of Daleport. So, we didn't end up actually learning much from the hands-on approach during the incident, so we'll just have to piece together what we can from the remnants. We're next given a few documents written by the town's inhabitants, presumably during the incident. One document recovered from a laptop reads, Dear Diary, 
Today, Mr. Sticky's arm came out of the closet instead of the window. It was even longer than ever, but it was still smoky when I touched it, so my hand hurts. I told Mr. Sticky I didn't want any of his gross food today, and he got mad. He said it was vital to the incubation of the lava. I'm really hungry, so I ate the gross food even though it was green and squirmy. I don't like Mr. Sticky that much. Interesting. There was also a phrase found in multiple locations throughout the town, including stitched into the internal organs of several residents. The phrase reads, I am sorry that I could not save you. Pangloss. Who is Pangloss, you might ask? Pangloss is arguably one of the most mysterious entities in the entire SCP universe, mentioned in only a handful of SCPs. His habit seems to be leaving notes at the location of various SCPs, giving the impression that he's perhaps a deity of some sorts, or at the very least a capable SCP himself. These notes are short and to the point, such as his note for SCP-1612, the plant with the burning flame, which reads, Don't let the fire die. Outside of the SCP universe, Pangloss is known as a character in Voltaire's novella, Candide, in which he is a philosopher known for his relentless optimism, and for believing that our world is the best of all possible worlds. Pangloss in SCP seems to borrow concepts from Voltaire's character, as well as elements of the Greek titan, Prometheus, who both created man and stole fire from the gods to give to humanity. These concepts are referenced in SCP-1612, as it's an ever-burning flame that's found across the planet in various locations where humanity got its start. We're getting off track, however, but the main point here is that Pangloss is some sort of mysterious entity that seems to care for humanity. Another document was recovered from a store, written by someone that was hiding from whatever was occurring in Daleport. They were running out of food, and they remarked that they heard screaming coming from outside, believing it to be their neighbor, but the screaming turned from human into something else. They also heard the local reverend walking past their window again, ranting about something, and they managed to get a glimpse of the reverend, commenting that he had too many spaces in him. They say that they have to get out of here, as they hear one of the big guys coming this way, along with the sound of drums, but their sentence is abruptly cut off. Their final line reads, I am the voice, and the voice is me. More helpful is the video footage captured from security cameras and other devices during the event. A surveillance camera at a gas station captures an early incident, as a cashier hands a customer a plastic bag. A nearby window shatters, and an unknown organism enters, roughly the height of an adult human but covered in tentacle-like appendages. The organism quickly decapitates the customer with a tentacle, and leaps over the counter on top of the cashier, as blood and viscera splatter on the nearby wall for 30 seconds. An elderly man wearing a bowler hat and waistcoat enters the gas station, but rather than a face, there is only a triangle branded into their skin. The camera footage begins distorting heavily, and the organism seems to be wary of the individual, 
but they engage each other. A mere touch from the individual seems to hurt the organism, and the footage ends with the individual throwing the organism through a wall as the ceiling begins to bulge downwards. A video recovered from a camera outside the library shows an out-of-control car crashing into a lamppost. The lamppost splits open, and a spectral entity, partially translucent, emerges from inside the post. The occupants of the crashed car open the doors and begin running down the street, slowly chased by the entity. After several minutes, in which the entity failed to catch up, it stops and releases a blue shockwave, which does reach the fleeing individuals, causing them to become transparent and fade away. A number of cameras captured an event in front of the Daleport Town Hall, which is shown to have sustained significant structural damage. The front doors of the town hall are missing, and in their place is a glowing circle. An entire convoy of vehicles, both civilian and foundation-owned, are speeding down the street towards the town hall, accompanied by humanoid robots carrying firearms of unknown make and manufacture. The civilians disembark the vehicles and run towards the glowing circle of the town hall entrance, urged on by both the foundation agents and the robots. A three-meter-tall, triangular entity covered in technological items emerges from one of the Foundation vehicles and interacts with one of the items before undergoing a series of convulsions. During these convulsions, a dubstep remix of the song Embers by Owl City was heard faintly through the Town Hall's microphones. Despite dubstep not being created for another year, and embers not being released for another 15 years. The civilians approach the glowing circle, but a fractal-shaped sheet of skin leaps from the roof of the town hall, causing the agents and the robots to open fire on it, to little effect. The skin wraps itself around a civilian's head, at which point the triangular organism rushes over and rips it off, followed by activating a flamethrower, apparently killing it. The civilians enter the glowing circle, disappearing, followed by the Foundation agents and the robots. The triangular entity burns the phrase, Pangloss grants you sanctuary, into the stonework above the entrance before leaving. 94 civilians and almost all of the missing Foundation agents that had been sent into the cloud were found at the nearby Foundation facility in the weeks following the incident each suffering from severe memory loss. I know what you might be thinking, that this is all just weirdness for weirdness's sake, but there is indeed a story here, and it comes from a number of documents connected to a local cult known as the Victory Society. The first note was found on the swollen corpse of James Curtis, a member of the Victory Society. It seems to be a list of things that the cult needs for an unknown purpose. Items include two trout, a bottle of milk, virginal blood that is to be mixed with the milk, assorted souls willingly sold, at least 200 beetles, lots of ice, two bodies that have been dead for at least a year, and some human eyes. More interesting, however, are the comments written in next to some of the items. 
the virginal blood mixed with the milk is for something referred to as he who walks beneath dreams, who is into that sort of thing, apparently. The alliteration related to assorted souls willingly sold is a big deal for that which waits inside the horizon. The writer remarks that if Hoshor, the name of the reverend mentioned earlier with too many spaces in him, thinks that if he has to use the ice to make a sculpture for the shivering mist, he's got another thing coming. The human eyes are supposedly for the blind one, who has thousands of sockets. Other cult members are gathering other items, while Hawshore just sits at home with his books. The next passage was written inside the cover of a charred book found outside the Daleport Church and I'll take the time to read it in its entirety. The border of the mural is encompassed by Silvuser, the shivering mist that will descend upon the world during the time of awakening. The mist is all-encompassing, and shall act as a barrier to those wishing to stop the awakening, as well as confine the great trinity of potential victors. The three at the center of the mural are the great victor of flames, the great victor of frost, and the great victor of the storm. They rain down destruction upon one another, with their true names inscribed in unreadable, unknowable runes. Around the three are visions of the great battle that contain the majority of those that shall come to this realm, with Digger, the dark god of lamp posts, the blind one illuminating the way for his followers, who leave tributes upon crooked light posts. Digilp manifests as the flies pouring out of the mouths of his beloved, and becurs to assist in the conflict any way he can. While Nini, the trepanner, frees his followers from the skulls of their oppressors. The shredded cabbage of misfortune will destroy those who oppose the vegetable monarchy. Zin, herald of Marp, commands the army of Lepidoptera, to carry those away who sleep with the flowers beneath the silver ash in the dream attics of inanimatum. The voice of ages, though not visible, is omnipresent, represented by the yellow runes bearing his name hidden throughout the mural. Finally, at the bottom, the minor minions and deities pledge their allegiance to the three victors. Those who pledge their allegiance to the great victor of flames are tinted orange, the great victor of frost, violet, and the great victor of storms, green. Many, such as he who walks beneath dreams, his face a mere triangle, remain unaligned and are painted in black, for they are opposed to none, and yet opposed to all. The dark deer, Demax, is shown around the edges, forever excluded by the rest. Sheagorath remains, ruling his kingdom of two faces, before he himself brings its downfall, only to be stopped by a great prisoner of the Dragon King. Twenty goats stuck together making a goat ball spin around and around all the way to goat hell. The skeletons forever fight their final war, the conflicts of these minor deities will have little impact on who the great victor of this battle shall be. 
We're given a description of a great mural that depicts a massive battle between a number of deities and deific figures, ultimately with one victor among three main contenders, supported by a number of lesser deities. Yes, that is indeed a mention of the Daedric Prince Sheagorath from the Elder Scrolls series of video games, which raises more questions than it answers. Many deities are apparently unaligned in this great battle, notably he who walks beneath dreams, whose face is a mere triangle. That at least answers a question for us. Pangloss, however, is not mentioned, at least not by that name. The cult of the Victory Society was gathering materials for some or all of these entities, but their reasons for doing so are so far unknown. We're then given a series of journal pages found on the anomalous corpse of Reverend Michael Hawshore, the leader of the Victory Society. In the first page, Hawshore says that he's returning to Daleport, and mentions someone named Godfrey who wished him luck as he left, but was hoping for Hawshore's failure. Hawshore says that he took all of the necessary books from the library, and also mentioned finding a proper way alluding to the Wanderer's Library. One of the tomes apparently gives off enough heat to burn Hawshore's hand, but he says you can't expect to do something like this without making some minor sacrifices. He finishes by remarking that it's disheartening that there aren't more respectable people interested in this venture, and he's worried about the next time. Written a week and a half later, the second page discusses a priming ritual for the One of Broken Nines, which required blood sacrifice, apparently of a child. Hawshore had hoped that the child could be anesthetized, but it was not allowed, leaving him a little shaken up. The child is dead, but he says the child would thank him if it knew why he was doing this. He repeats the phrase, it's for the good of everybody, and ends by saying that the victor will walk from the rubbles of man and restore clarity to those who remain. The third page was written twelve days later, and Hawshore explains that the voice of ages required the blood of a heretic, not specifying any religion. Hawshore had possessed doubts about the devotion of James Curtis to the cause, and so he used his blood. James's blood worked, proving Hawshore correct, adding that James's selfishness would have doomed them all. Hawshore remarks that his time is coming to an end, but he will welcome his death, even if it is not quick. He ends by writing that the world will lie still again on Monday, and it will thank them for it. A transcript of a speech given by Hawshore to members of the Victory Society was also found. Again, for the sake of preserving the narrative importance, I'll read it in its entirety. Brothers and sisters, we come together for the last time today. It has been an honor to work with you all. I could not have hoped for a better group with which to secure the future of mankind. From the dawn of time, Terrible impossibilities have spawned from the darkness between stars, not hating life, simply being indifferent to it. We are as ants to these abominations, 
these demented gods. I use this term as this is what they are called in older texts. You will not find any biblical god here, or perhaps you will, I do not know. The use of gods here is this specific form of creature, born from the primordial chaos of this reality, not just a powerful being. Simply powerful beings do not reach the uncaring depths of cruelty and depravity that the gods do. They are so far above us that we are but insects. Accordingly, we shall look as such. In order to gain the forgiveness and favor of the gods, we must learn to know our place before them. Each of these things seeks dominion over the laws of reality itself, imposing the nature of their twisted existences upon stars and planets and people. The only answer to this threat, these gods must be destroyed, the slate wiped clean. We could not do this, by no means, no. But we cannot allow these things to exist. A kingdom cannot have a billion kings. We cannot kill the gods, no. Only a god can kill a god. We will bring them here and bind them. Bind them until their bloodlust is sated, until all but one is dead. Always a single god remains, the victor, who returns to whence they came as the only god remaining. But their primordial chaos eventually spawns more gods, more twisted angels and demons. And so it all comes to pass again. Our vigilance must be constant, for a new victor must be found again and again. We will leave a mark in creation, but it will fade, it will heal. Stand strong as our people have before. Stand strong as the near men in ancient cities did. Stand strong as we did at the gates of Sodom. Stand strong as we have always stood strong, because this must always be done. Fortune favors those who take bold steps. We shall become unified with inanimatum, entering the Somnium Eternum. May we be forgiven. This is a pretty self-explanatory summary, as Hawshor lays it all out on the table. There are a lot of elements of cosmic horror present here, but the twist is that rather than the cultists worshipping the ancient godly entities, they intend to summon them all into one big battle royale with one winner. Since these gods are a negative influence on reality, they apparently need to be purged once in a while to keep our existence safe. Hawshore claims that the Victory Society has been responsible for doing this multiple times in the past, and will continue to do so in the future. The gaseous cloud is placed over the site of this war in order to both prevent outside interference, as well as protect the rest of our world. A section of writing was found in the back cover of Hawshore's journal, likely his last remarks. His sanity seems to be slipping away and his body is already being anomalously affected, as his throat goes somewhere else, but he doesn't like where it goes. He says the war going on here is filled with cold, sideways fire. The rest of it is mostly gibberish, involving his hands made of wire and cyanide, and how they must eat babies to quell the titans. 
The final entry in the article is a transcript of a video that recorded part of the event from near the church. A large entity composed of stone, soil, and some type of fungus appears above the church, and the camera begins shaking as a sound akin to a distorted whale song is heard. A second entity then appears above the church with a crystalline structure and a bright light emitting from its central spire. A 15-second screech is heard, and all other entities in view cease hostilities with one another and flee. A third entity appears alongside a deep humming sound, but the camera heavily distorts before cutting out. These final three entities are likely the three main contenders for victory, but we're left with no answer as to the winner. In most cases, humans meddling in affairs beyond their power or understanding results in disaster. But Daleport presents a situation in which not only was this meddling controlled, but it was apparently beneficial. The SCP Foundation were basically bystanders during these events, but in all likelihood, they would have ended up approving of the Victory Society's actions. It's usually a bad idea to summon a multitude of dark gods to a small town to wage war on each other, but sometimes you've got to break a few eggs to make an omelet.